Good morning, College Park. It is good to be with you this morning. Let us go to the Lord in prayer as we open His Word. Oh Christ, You are our sure and steady anchor, ever faithful, ever true. Lord, we will hold fast to that anchor, and it shall never be removed. Lord, you, we praise You for being the author and the perfecter and the finisher of our faith. We thank You, Lord, for being the ballast of assurance in times of hardship and pain and doubt. Now, Lord, as we come to Your Word, would You strengthen our hearts and give us assurance that we indeed are Your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, remember with me the last time you felt like you didn't fit in. You know, maybe it was the first day of a new job and you come in and all these new coworkers, they got these inside jokes and you're just left there like, I don't, I don't know what they're talking about. So you feel like you're on the outside kind of looking in. Maybe you're a student here and it was your first day of a new school and the things that were cool at your old school are not so cool at this school. Or maybe, you know, you, you move to a new city, and instead of having stoplights like every other city you've ever been in, there's these things called these roundabouts, and people keep honking at you as you just kind of slowly make your way around the circle, and you just feel like, you know, I just, I just don't fit in here. This is, there's, we've all felt, right, this, this friction of not fitting in, and, and for me, I'll never forget going to China with, with Jessica for the, for the first time uh, to visit her extended family, and the moment I stepped off the plane, I, I knew I, I did not uh, belong. I felt very, very out of place. I didn't look like everyone else, even though I, I was nice because I was probably taller than everybody. So that was, that was a first for me. Um, again, I didn't talk like everyone else. All the food was, was different. And I'll never forget, we, we were in this, uh, this kind of private room for, for dinner as we were having uh, dinner with Jessica's cousins. And this, this boy, uh, probably eight or nine year old, he, he opens the door and kind of peers in and he like kind of has his big eyes. I'm like, what's that? And he shuts, shuts the door and runs away and, and yells in Mandarin, I saw the foreigner! <laughs> and everybody at, at the table is just laughing and I don't know what's happening, right? I don't know what he said. And then Jessica it tells me, and I'm like, oh, okay, yep. I definitely don't fit in here. I, I'm, I'm the new kid on the block here. Yeah, I definitely didn't feel like I belong. We've all felt that, right? And this, we all have this longing to belong. You know, it's something we, we, we feel, whether we admit it or not. We, we all want to be welcomed in. We all want to fit in. We all want to be known and, and, and to know others. And I think our, our world understands this, this human desire. And, and so it offers us plenty of, of different places to belong. And yet, there still seems to me the, a deficit of belonging in, in our culture. You know, even in our modern age, where we are the most connected people in, in, in all the world, in all of human history, people still feel lonely and isolated. I saw a, a recent study that found that young people, you know, they may have thousands of friends and followers on, on Facebook, but it, the, the more they spend on social media, if they spend more than two hours a day on the kind of Twitter or Facebook, they're twice as likely to report feeling a sense of loneliness. And the correlation continues, the more time spent on social media or being connected with, with others, the more likely they are to report feeling isolated. And so to fill this, this loneliness gap, I think that people 
feel, you know, the world, and they, they join fitness clubs, you know, or political action groups. You know, we try new, new jobs, new roommates, new relationships, all in the search of a place to belong. And while we may feel accepted for, for time in these, in these various avenues, inevitably, right, things, things change, right? People move away, interests change, and the search for belonging uh, begins again. I've talked to many of you in our church, and many of you have come here to a kind of a new church plant to say, hey, I'd, I'd like to feel like I belong. I've never felt that before. It's been a long time since I felt it, and that's why you've, you've come here. Each, each generation, right, the world changes, but they continually offer new identities, new pathways, new promises of joy in life, but they keep coming up short time and time again. Yet in the midst of all these offers to belong that fall short from the world, the scriptures stand apart and proclaim an eternal belonging, an eternal fellowship, an eternal life that is found in no one else and nowhere else, a belonging that is found only in Christ and in his bride, the church. So as we unpack our scripture today and our text, I hope the Spirit will help me to show you that the beginning of our belonging is Christ the message, number two, the message of our belonging is the gospel. And three, the fruit of our belonging is fellowship and joy. But before we unpack this text, I just want to remind you again, we are now in the second week uh, of a series uh, of First John, as Luke said, called Be Sure. Uh, and in this series, we're looking at different markers and different themes that uh, the Apostle John uses to assure this church that they can know that they have eternal life. And specifically, we're looking at different indicators that happen in our life that can help us to be sure of our salvation. And if you're with us last week, we looked at 1 John 5, 11 through 13, which was the kind of the climax of, of, of the book. And so now we're going to turn back to kind of this prologue of this incredible book of assurance with now the understanding, kind of armed with the understanding that John's purpose of this letter is to leave Christians sure of their eternal life. If you just look at our, your text, you'll, you'll notice that this, this letter does not start or end like, like most letters uh, in the New Testament, right? Other than the book of Hebrews. There, there's no formal greeting here, no clear indication of where this letter is being sent. You know, in the conclusion, uh, little children, keep yourselves from idols is a very interesting way to end, to end a book. It's very unique. And even so, we, we have no explicit naming of the author in this letter, uh, but we're able to confidently attribute this letter to the Apostle John because of the common themes and, as you'll notice, the, this very unique writing style. And our passage today is certainly unique unto itself. And as I was doing my preparations, I came across this quote from a commentator. He says, uh, I've observed that First John 1, 1 through 4 has a good claim to having the most complicated Greek in all the collection of writings attributed to the Apostle John. And so maybe, maybe you heard that and noticed that complexity in our scripture reading. But I felt comfort from uh, the famous preacher uh, Sinclair Ferguson, and he comments that First John often sounds like the, the writing of an elderly man who's so excited that he can't help but repeat himself before arriving at his, his main point. And nevertheless, while the language, uh, again, in our, in our prologue uh, may seem difficult to follow at first, it's, it's undeniable what John is trying to communicate to us. And throughout this book and throughout our study, you'll, you'll notice, again, a maturity of speech and a, and a deep love and a deep care that John has for the people in his care. It's the kind of speech like a, a grandfather would use as he writes to his, to his grandchildren. They're not the fumblings of, of, of an old senile old man, but, but a godly grandfather writing encouragement 
to his grandchildren in the faith. And you see, John is writing this book of assurance because there are these false teachers um, that we read about, and you'll see in chapter 2, who, who were once part of the church of Jesus Christ, but are now preaching a different gospel. They were claiming to have fellowship with God, and yet they were denying that Jesus was God incarnate. And now they're living in open sin. And these false teachers, as John calls, they call them antichrists, and are causing those in John's spiritual care to doubt their salvation and doubt whether or not they actually belong to God. So to assure these doubting Christians, John begins with a letter by reminding them of the beginning of their belonging. He reminds them of the sure message of their belonging, and he also reminds them of the fruit of their belonging. So as we look at our text, we'll be reminded that the pathway to eternal belonging does not begin with a shared political identity or a shared commitment to healthy living or sharing the same age uh, or stage, but our belonging begins with the shared belief in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who is God made flesh, who is the word of life, and by believing in him, you may have life in his name and to share eternal fellowship with God and with his people forever. So number one, the beginning of our belonging. Look back at verses one and two with me. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. In our search for belonging, we must see that true belonging begins with Jesus who was from the beginning and is the only one without a beginning. In our search for abundant life, we must start with the word of life who alone offers eternal life. If you're familiar with with, uh, the Gospel of John, you'll recognize this prologue has a lot of similar language uh, to our passage today. And if we look at that, the text uh, in, in, in John chapter 1, we'll see these clear similarities, and it's going to help us to see that the one that was from the beginning, the one that John is talking about here, is Jesus himself, the man Jesus Christ, uh, whose resurrection we just celebrated last week. And so I'm going to read uh, John chapter 1, just the first few verses, and you can follow with me and just kind of see and compare these two texts together with me. John 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him not anything was made that was made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You guys notice the, the, the language uh, of beginning and this word of life in both these writings. Uh, and they're not just meant to point us back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, but to point us back to the beginning of time itself. It's, it's just the echo of Genesis 1-1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. A time when the three persons of the Trinity existed eternally together with God, and then God spoke words and life was created some of you may know, uh, I saw up here, I was holding my little daughter, Emma. Uh, she is 14 uh, months old, and she is a, she's a hoot. And we are uh, going to welcome our second baby in just a few, few short weeks, and a uh, baby boy, which is really exciting. And one of the coolest things about being, being a parent and being the parent of, 
of Emma is that we get to experience all of her firsts. You know, uh, we get to see the first time that she rolled over. We get to experience the, her first steps, the first food she eats, you know, um, her first laugh. And because we, we have known her from the beginning, we are now experts in Emma. So if, if you want to know something about Emma, uh, you know, if you're going to babysit, you know, we'll, we'll give you all the information that you need to know about Emma and how to, how to take care of her. And because we've known her from the beginning, we can tell you what she loves, what she, what she hates, what will calm her when she's uh, scared, and what time she needs to go to bed every night. And when she grows up, we'll get to tell her about all her beginnings. As we've seen in our passage, John points us to the one who knows us best, the one who is an expert in all of us, because he was from the beginning. Just listen to how Paul in Colossians 1 describes this Jesus who, who was from the beginning and knows us so well. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This Jesus is the one who knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. He is the one who knows each hair on your head, each thought that you have, each decision you will make, and each day that you will live. He knows how to satisfy your deepest longings. He knows how to calm your deepest fears. And he is the one to whom you belong. So then we ask ourselves, you know, why do then do we look to satisfy our deepest longings in other places, in other people outside of Jesus? Why do we fill a void that can only be filled with Christ? Well, I think just pretty plainly, and one reason is that in a world of instant gratification, right, that we just like the here and now, it is really hard for us to trust in somebody we can't see, right? It's, it's hard to, to believe when that person is not here physically with us. And secondly, I think it's difficult to, to see the real Jesus clearly amidst all the many cultural narratives about him that we see today. Just, just uh, I think last week I was in the checkout aisle at Fresh Time, right? And you got the magazine rack over there, and thankfully Fresh Time does a decent job of you know, what, what they put out there. But there's this big picture of Jesus uh, on the front of a, a magazine, and right below it is the title, Who is Jesus? So you may be here and you ask, well, who, who really is Jesus? How can we be sure that he truly is the hope of the world? How can you be sure that this message of, of his life, death, and resurrection is for real if it seems like there are new things coming out about him all the time? Well, we can be sure because the first message about Jesus came from those who heard, who saw, and who touched the Son of God. And we have seen and we can testify ourselves to the transforming work of this message in our lives. The beginning of our belonging is Jesus. And now let's look at the message of our belonging, the message that was proclaimed to us. You'll see this uh, all throughout our passage, starting again back in verse 1. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was made manifest, it's revealed, and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. 
that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. So in order to assure his readers of the truthfulness of his message, you'll see that John repeatedly heaps up these sensory clauses, right? One on top of the other. To remind the church that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is not hysteria, but it's actual history. The, the, these men had, were eyewitnesses to the majesty of Jesus. And, and you'll notice that the, the clauses here are, are in a kind of a progression from, from least intimate to, to most intimate, to, to hearing, to seeing, to, to touching. It's like going from, from sitting in the, in the nosebleed seats at, at a basketball game to, to sitting courtside, Right? You know, in the nosebleed seats, you're up there, and you're, you're looking down, and it's like, you can kind of make out what's happening, you know, you're, you're not sure what number that guy was wearing, you're not sure if that shot went, like, you're, but most of the time, you're just kind of looking at the jumbotron, right, about to say, that's just kind of what you end up doing, but just imagine with me, you're sitting in your nosebleed seats, and you can't really see anything, but then, right, one of those raffles comes on, and your row gets picked to go courtside, you know, I've always wanted to be that row, but I've never, never been that row, and as you kind of walk down the steps, right? And you get closer to the action. The players that once looked like ants now just start coming into view, and you can start to see uh, their numbers. You can start to see their faces more, more clearly. You start to hear the squeak, right, of the shoes uh, on the court. And now you can see uh, you, the perspective there. They look so small, but when you get closer, right, then you can kind of see how huge these dudes are and just how massive they are. You can kind of appreciate um, what they're doing on the court. And when you finally get down to your seat and you sit down there, you can start to see like the beads of sweat falling off their, their face and you can kind of reach out and boom, LeBron gives you a high five. You're like, oh my gosh, I touched him. I was there. That's how close, right, the apostles um, are to Jesus. They didn't just hear him on a podcast, you know, they didn't get duped by, you know, uh, video editing. You know, they actually touched him with their hands. They embraced him as a friend. And when you're close enough to Jesus and to touch him, you just can't deny his power, right? You know, we read in the Gospels, right, of the woman. Remember, she just knows, if she, I just touch Jesus' robe, but then I will be healed. You know, and when Jesus touches people, right, lepers are healed, right? The blind receive sight. You know, fevers dispel from young girls. And coming off Easter weekend, it's hard not, right, not to think about the, the, um, the Apostle Thomas, right, who heard the report that Jesus was alive, but proclaimed, hey, unless I place my finger in the marks of his hands and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. And so what does Jesus do? He shows up, right, in the room of the disciples. There's, the doors are locked, but he just appears, and he says, hey, Thomas, come look, right? Touch my hands. Touch my side. And then Thomas declares, you know, my Lord and my God. This message of Jesus that we believe in did, did not come in a, in a vision right? Uh, they're not sitting in the nosebleed seats. They don't, they're not hearing this second hand, but rather the Lord of the, the universe revealed himself to these people, the flesh and blood, to John the apostles, and so that they might proclaim the message of eternal life. And you'll, you'll see in verse 3 that the actual main verb in this whole text <clears throat> is proclaim. And we see it in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. The revelation of Jesus and the gospel was not meant to be enjoyed by just a select few people, right? But this message was meant to be proclaimed in all the earth. And we see this again, right after Jesus is risen from the dead, he, he gives his uh, apostles a mission, right? It says in Matthew 28, right? Go, 
and therefore make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And we see it in Acts 1.8, right? But you will receive power in the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will testify in all Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus gives these commands to his apostles, and he gets ascended into heaven. He sends his spirit as he promised, and the apostles begin to proclaim eternal life. And when this message was proclaimed, it gave hope to the hopeless, and it gave life to the lifeless. It gave sojourners a place to call home, and it gave outcasts a place to belong. You know, we don't have to, to see Jesus in order to belong to him, but we must believe in his message if we want to be part of his family. We cannot separate Jesus from his gospel. We cannot separate the messenger from the message. Know, maybe you've seen it, you know, on these, on these talk shows or the, the kind of the modern guru therapists who they'll, they'll highlight Jesus' character and his, and his kindness and his help for the poor but then they'll just throw out his message of, of repentance. They'll, they'll just cut, pick and choose what they want to love about Jesus. But, right? The gospel doesn't let us do that. You, you can't belong to Jesus without believing his gospel. You cannot have the word of life without believing his words of life. You cannot have eternal life without eternal life being proclaimed to you. And that right here is what John is reminding his readers. And we, right, we hear this echoed out through all the, the New Testament, especially in Romans 10. Right, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who share the good news. The apostles were sent by Jesus to proclaim the message of Jesus. And through their proclamation, the church grew and was strengthened, and daily, right, they, what do they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. And this really, uh, this ought to be instructive for us today, right? We must, as a church, never grow tired of hearing the word of God proclaimed in our church. And that's what we're committed to doing here. You'll notice today that our service, right, uh, we don't have a ton of symbols up here. We don't have a lot of stuff but what we do, right, our, our service is centered around, around words, right? We sing songs with lots of words. We have somebody come up here and, we, and pray with words. And then we have somebody come up again, me, talk for 30 to 40 minutes and just give you a bunch of, bunch of words, right? Well, why, why do we do that? Well, we believe that when the gospel message is proclaimed faithfully week after week in our songs and in our preaching and our prayers, that it's going to fuel our belonging, that the gospel is the foundation of our belonging. The reason why we're here is, is not because of our great programs or what we've got, but it's because of the gospel. The gospel is the foundation of our belonging, and we believe it's the only message that has the power to unify different people from different backgrounds, different ages, different races, in all different stages. And that's why uh, if you've been in our small group training or have seen it, uh, one of our first essentials of our small group is making sure that we have a Christ-centered focus on the Word. Because we believe if our small group gatherings are not fundamentally focused on Christ and His Word and His Gospel, we will look like any other social club uh, that the world can, can easily offer. When you remove the eternal Word, when you remove the eternal Son of God from a gathering, what you're left with is something the world can easily offer. Pastor used to tell me uh, and say this, like, if, if you're relationships, you know, if, 
if Christ and the gospel were removed from your relationships, would they still exist? It was, a, it was an interesting thing for me to think about. You know, are, are we joined? You know, it's, it's easy and it's natural to be friends with people who are like you, right? To share your interests. But we can declare something supernatural and eternal when the foundation of our relationship is Jesus Christ alone. The message of our belonging is the gospel, and it unites all different types of people together so that Jesus is most glorified in our belonging. So the beginning of our belonging is Jesus. The message of our belonging is the gospel. And lastly, let's look at the fruit of our belonging. The fruit of our belonging. Look at verses 3 and 4 with me. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that, the purpose statement there, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. When we place our faith in the incarnate Son of God, Jesus the Christ, God, God transfers us from darkness into light, and He brings us into a fellowship with Him and with one another. And this fellowship with other believers is one of the fruits of our belonging to Jesus. And this fellowship is meant to give us assurance of our eternal life. You know, we, we aren't able to, to fight sin and to face our doubts alone, right? We need others to help us. So God, what has he done? He's given us a band of brothers and, and sisters to help us on our journey to the celestial city. Now, some of you may say, it's like, well, what if, what if I don't like this family? You know, this is, this is not a group of people that I particularly want to be a, a part of. And it doesn't seem like a really great, you know, reason for me to, to be a Christian, you know, to, to join you people here, you know. I feel like all the, all the people in the church, you know, aren't they all hypocrites? Right, you probably heard that before. All the, all the people in the church, they're all, they're all hypocrites. Uh, a former pastor would admit when, when people would say that, all, all, the church, all the people in the church are hypocrites, he would want to say, well, then you'd fit right in. <laughs> now, he would refrain. He would refrain from saying that. But rather, he would answer, he's like, yeah, you're right, and you don't know the half of it. Right? Our sin is so much more offensive than we could ever imagine because we serve a God who is infinitely more holy than we can ever imagine. But just as like a hospital, right, is meant for, for sick people, right, the church is meant for those who understand that we have a sickness in our souls, and Jesus is the only cure for that sickness. The church, right, we might not be an impressive-looking bunch. We may be awkward, you know, we have those really awkward greeting times together, and and often we will fall short in our obedience to Christ. But I can promise you this, that you will not find a people in all the world with the connections that we have. Just look at right, how John qualifies this fellowship with the apostles, right? He says, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We don't have an ordinary fellowship Right? He's reminding us, hey, your fellowship is not ordinary. If you fellowship uh, with us, your fellowship is also with the eternal Father, with the eternal God, the one who 
made you, the one who was, who is, and is to come. And we can see this, this supernatural fellowship, right? We can, we can see this, this wonderful fruit of our belonging together lived out in the life of the church, and it can assure us that, hey, this, this would not happen without God being in our fellowship, without God working in us. Right? When we see small groups that are made up of men and women, married and singles, young and old, rich and poor, black and white, meeting together around the word of God, exhorting one another, confessing sin to one another, we, we ought to rejoice because that is the fruit of our fellowship with the Father being bared out uh, in front of us. Right? If we remove Jesus or the gospel from that group, w- would you guys be friends? I, I remember visiting the Kempston small group and I think they ranged from age, you know, I think Norman, you know, is like 14 months old, and then, you, and then up, to, up to 80. And that's, that's, that's their group. And you're like, okay, where in all, all the world do you see things like this? This is the fruit of a fellowship that is supernatural. We see this fruit uh, in our church when people give up their time and energy to walk alongside a struggling brother and sister. When we see our children's ministry workers, right, give up a Sunday to sit with, with their family so that other families can be, be served. This is the fruit of our belonging together. You know, when we see men get up in the morning, early morning, Friday mornings, and, and to come along and to pray with one another and study the word, we are seeing a supernatural fellowship. When we see, again, we've seen families give up their, their money to help a family pay their bills, not expecting anything in return, we are seeing the overflow of eternal life being born out in our fellowship. And this really goes without saying, right, that, that this congregation is living proof that the fellowship of believers is not something produced by man, but produced by the Spirit of the living God. As I said before, again, there could have been a lot of difficulties uh, merging two churches together from College Park and, and, and the chapel. But because we share in the same fellowship with the Father and with the Son, and our commitment is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, we understood that we belonged together even before we had met each other. Right? We knew this was going to work because we shared the same gospel, the same message, and the same Lord. And we'll see in our passage, too, that, that God not only uses this fruit of fellowship to encourage the body of believers, that they're sharing in this internal life, but God also uses our fellowship as a means to bring others into our fellowship. It's a fascinating prayer of Jesus in, in John 17. He says this, he was praying for disciples and now he prays for us, those who have not seen him. He says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that's us, that we may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is an incredible prayer. He, he's praying that, that those who would believe the apostles' message, which are us, that, would sh- that, would, that we would share in the oneness and the fellowship that Jesus shares with, with the Father from, from eternity past. And through that fellowship, the world may believe that Jesus is from God. He, he's praying that the unity that we share here in this fellowship would be, would be a way in which to draw others in to community who we do not yet believe so, so the way we interact with one another, the way we care for one another, the way we speak to one another, it all matters is because we are proclaiming something about the God that we serve. 
We are, we are an evangelistic tool even just by the way we interact with one another, the unity that we see within uh, our church. Our community should be so profoundly marked by love for one another that it should provoke the outside to, to, to be able to say, oh, well, I'm, to recognize one that, hey, I don't have that type of fellowship. I don't have that. And also have this desire to come in. Pastor Michael Lawrence uh, describes this really well as he just kind of paints this picture. He says this, the church should be like a bakery on a cold and snowy day. Whiffs of delicious bread and hot chocolate occasionally waft outside. And the child has his nose pressed up against the window pane. Now that glass is, is a barrier. Without it, the warmth and delicious smells would soon disperse in the cold wind. And no one would know they're there. Was anything good to be found in that, in that bakery? But it's a transparent barrier, allowing the child to see the good things inside and invite him in. And there is a way in. It's a narrow door that he must walk through. Until he does, he can see and appreciate what's inside, but it's not his to enjoy. And once he walks through, it's his for the asking. So when non-Christians encounter our church, we should be like stand, it should be like standing at that, that window and, and not staring at like a blank brick wall, right? They should feel the warmth of our love with one another as we engage them as image bearers of God. They should see the depth of our relationships as they witness people who have no reason to care for one another, sacrifice for one another. They should taste the richness of the gospel as it is preached and it is taught as it connects to their lives. And they should hear an inviting sounds of a joyful community as they listen to the praises and the prayers of his people who worship, I, who worship our crucified and risen Lord. And so I'd ask you, church, today, you know, when your non-Christian neighbors see you working in the yard and they come into your homes or when visitors walk through those doors, what kind of fellowship do they see? You know, what kind of aroma do they smell you know, do they smell the pungent smell of selfishness and unforgiveness? Or do they smell the sweet aroma of Christ as we love the stranger and sacrifice for one another? Finally, as we turn to this last verse, we'll see that the fruit of our belonging also brings, brings joy. Look at verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, you may be saying, our joy? You know, why, isn't, why can't this be your joy? Aren't you writing for, for my joy? Well, well, John, again, he's not being selfish here. He's not just writing these things so the apostles alone can have complete joy. Their joy is not exclusive, but it's tied directly to the joy of his hearers, right? John is that grandfather yearning for his grandchildren to come home, to come to Jesus, that they might share in the fellowship and the joy of eternal life together. And I just know many uh, people in our congregation can resonate with John on this, right? That you would have no greater joy than to know that your children are walking in the truth. You may have seen your, your children be wooed away at college by the pleasures of this world and your heart's desire and your greatest joy would be to see them walking in the truth. Your joy, right, is not tied to them getting straight A's or to having a successful career or, having, or giving you a lot of grandchildren, but your joy is complete if your children are walking in 
the truth of the gospel. Because you know that there is no joy that they can have that is greater than the joy of being with Christ and his bride together. So we've seen the beginning of our belonging is Christ. The message of our belonging is the gospel and the fruit of our belonging is fellowship and joy. During my, my time in, in China, uh, again, I didn't feel very often like I belonged, but I will never forget Easter uh, Sunday in 2016. And we, I think we walked into a, seemed like an old, an old office building rented out, and I think we took an elevator up to the, to the floor where an unregistered church in China uh, gathered for their Easter services. And when I was greeted warmly by these, these church members, and I saw the joy on their faces, and I heard the familiar tune of, Christ the Lord is risen to you. Like, okay, I, I know this, I know this. And I felt that familiar sense of, of fellowship that I, had, that I, feel, I feel here. And after, after the service, it was a wonderful service, and uh, one of the coolest spots, that we, I, we went to lunch with the pastor and a couple of other church members, and we're all sitting around the, the table, and I start to recognize, and Jessica's telling me, like, hey, they're all sharing their testimonies of faith. They're sharing, I mean, all, all of them, again, weren't, I think weren't born in Christian homes, but they, they were saved uh, from themselves, and, and they're just all sharing their, their story. And that was a normal thing in China. They, they just share their stories. And I'm just saying, like, hey, this is, this is where I, I belong. It's like, this, this is, I, the food is all different. The, the language is all different. I look different. But my heart is inextricably united to these brothers and sisters here. And I don't know about you, but I don't know if you feel that. Uh, and I hope that you would feel that here. That when, when you get around believers and, and you start to talk to them and you start to fellowship with them, you're like, hey, my, my heart is, is eternally tied with you. And it's not because we, we share the same age and stage or we share um, all these similar interests, but, but I know my heart is tied to you because... We're going to live forever together, and, there, and we share Jesus together. You know, if you've ever been, you know, like in a doctor's office, and you're sitting in the waiting room, and, and you, start, you start having a conversation with a stranger, and you just kind of just got this feeling, it's like, something's different, something's different about you, and I can, you can kind of say, I, I think, I think that they're, but they're a believer. I can just tell by the way they're talking. I can tell by the way they, they act, and as you, as you can, and you talk to them more, you start to find out, yeah, this person is somebody that I've tied to forever, that I'll live with in heaven. And that is the fellowship that we share with Christ and his bride. And that ought to give us confidence today, that we can be sure of our salvation when we have that fellowship with one another. And if you're here today and you're not sure you, you, you belong, as I've said, you must start with Jesus. You must believe in his message, and you will be embraced by this fellowship of believers, by the fellowship of the redeemed. If you're here today and you do know you belong and you feel this fellowship with, with one another, I, I ask you to, to ask yourself, what kind of aroma of Christ are you? Even today, you know, what, can, what can you do in order to, to the waft the beauty and the joy of the gospel to those that are around you, to sacrifice for one another's, and to prove that the Lord has your heart and that you truly belong by welcoming others in to our fellowship? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful 
Lord Jesus, that you have united us together through your gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, when we look to the cross, we see a sure and and steady anchor. And then when we look to each other and we see the fruit of fellowship being borne out in one another, we we can rejoice knowing that we are not alone in this fight. We are not alone on this pathway as we wait for Jesus to come back. Lord Jesus, but you have saved us to a people. So Lord, we would ask God that if anybody's here, Lord, who doesn't know they belong, would know that they have a place that they can belong here with us if they just take Christ. And Lord, would we we be a church, not only today, but in the years to come, that we would be the sweet aroma of Christ to those who do not know you yet. And may our fellowship be a pathway to the gospel that many may know you and belong to you as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.